the pictures sort of take themselves, really. You, you walk around and you put the camera down and it, it's just sort of in the right place. And I don't actually mess about with it. If I see that that's the right place, that's the picture. And so it means I'm actually really quick. And it's because I've taken that time. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today we are doing something we have not done before. We are going indoors. We're talking with Paul Rayside. Paul is one of the world's best-known, most successful interiors photographer. His clients include Vanity Fair. They include Vogue. They include oh, House and Gardens, House Beautiful, Home and Gardens, uh, Condé Nast Traveler, stuff all over the place, and, and work that I find absolutely compelling. Paul, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Really a fantastic honor to be asked to do this with you. Thank you. Well, it, it's an honor for us to have you on the show. I appreciate that. Paul, you do a kind of work that is really deceptive in one way. You look at these interiors and they are elegant. And I have this feeling that just beyond the frame, there's 75 people all with reflectors and lights and, and you know, you know, little bits of magic here and there. How in the world did you get started with being an interiors photographer. I mean, not many 16-year-olds with an Instamatic say, I'm going to grow up to take pictures for home and garden. Well, that's very true. So as it happens, when I was 16 years old, I left home and I went to live with a girlfriend who was a bit older than me in London. And um, she was a bit of a disco girl, so <laughs> I needed money and stuff. And so she she convinced me to go to college, and the, the local college was Chelsea up the road. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, um, by hook or by crook, I got in. And during my foundation, I started to need money. And so the only thing that the foundation taught me was to take photographs, and I hadn't done t- photographs before. So um, I got a camera and started taking pictures of people around around Chelsea. And, and in those days, Chelsea was full of punks and fashion people and stuff. And I was selling the photographs. And so quite quickly, I left the college and my I was going to do textiles, which I, I, mean, I didn't want to do textiles. Um, I left and be, I was a photographer. And so I was actually doing fashion for many years. And... I worked in in New York and in Rome. Um, I, quite quickly, I I, sort of, I seemed to know everyone in those days, and and London was full of people that you could know too. Well, let, let, Paul, let me stop you right there. You, you don't simply declare one day I'm going to be a photographer, and the next day you're working in New York and London in the fashion world. Tell true. me about the early. Tell me about the early successes. Tell me about you know th- those first few photographs that people men- took some notice of. Well, I was hanging around in Soho a lot in London, and there were just lots of people around. You just knew you just knew people. There were fashion people in the West End actually making stuff in the West End, and you would go to parties and meet hat makers and stuff. So quite quickly, I was taking photographs for them. And it wasn't really much for magazines. It was more sort of recording their work for them. 
And mm-hmm. so I was really doing couture. And, you know, I don't know, I just sort of was a photographer doing fashion. And then I went to New York. In those days, you could have this sort of unconditional visa, I think, or, or unrestricted visa, I can't remember what it's called. And you could do this, this deal with a, a business person in in New York or in America, to swap. If he used my studio in London, I could use his studio in New York. And so I met this chap called Carl and we um, set up this little business together. And we were just taking pictures all the time. We had a client in, um, in Boston, actually, who used to send us stuff to photograph every day. And it was just nonstop, sort of static fashion, really, Um, Mm -hmm. um, rather than the stuff, you know, walking around locations, taking pictures of women. It was very, very static. You know, we were doing that in London. Then I managed to, I met Jean-Paul Gaultier at a party and I then worked for him for a little bit in Paris. And then I worked with Valentino in, in Rome. And it just sort of happened. I don't really know. There wasn't any, it was just by being around that it happened. It wasn't because I was being published necessarily, although I was being published. It was just really about who I knew, who was going to parties and discos and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And I say discos, actually it was discos. It wasn't sort of club. <laughs> it, was, it was discos. <laughs> I, I chuckle because I'm just two years older than you are, and I know exactly what scene you're talking about. The, 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 those were discos back then. Yeah, and 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 actually, very a, a fantastic sort of melting pot of all these creative people having a, mm-hmm. a great time, and and out of that came all of my work, I suppose, out out of times like that. You know, connections can mean a lot, but connections mean nothing if the work's no good. Tell me how you, you sort of developed an eye for what makes a good photograph. I mean, in the, in the fashion world or anywhere else. I mean, where, where, did, where did the sense of aesthetics come from? Well, it's interesting, actually, because I'm not actually a very technical person. And although sometimes I am, but I, I don't really think I am. And I don't really re- recall any technical information so it, it's all about the things I see and so I always liked I mean it's a tiny bit of a cliche to say all this but I always liked films and I liked art and in fact I that woman I was telling you about I used to meet her in the West End and nearly every day I used to go to Sotheby's pre-sale show I mean for like two years I looked at paintings almost every day and and I previous to that I'd been fairly uneducated with artworks, and I just sort of got this feeling of of what was beautiful and what was still, and without ever really necessarily understanding the mechanics of painting, which obviously nowadays I understand them more. Mm-hmm. But it's just about how they looked, and I always gravitated towards sort of things with a little bit of sadness in them, a little bit of stillness. I developed to like people like Strindberg, who were very, very peaceful as, as artists, and Renoir, who was full of fun, but it was always a little bit removed. You know, you were never actually in the action. You were just slightly standing outside looking in. That's how I think my photographs are, is they're meant to be very, very still. And, and just a sense of something else going on it's not really that conscious but i guess 
it's part of how I've developed as a photographer and, and the way I see things. And and at the best of times, it's really, really pure. But of course, when you're on set, you, you, there's a sort of collaboration to be made. And oftentimes I leave a shoot thinking, mm, well, I would have perhaps done that slightly differently or I did the best I could under the circumstances. And then that's the, the, the wish to do something more that's purer um, is taken to the next shoot. So that's the momentum I have and the that's how I keep sort of going. That's my inspiration. So my style has come from simply looking at things and seeing movies. I mean, if you look at In the Mood for Love by uh, Wong Kar Wai, it, it, you only have to look at that and every single frame. I mean, I, I don't really want to say this because it's so it's a bit pompous, but every single picture is a, is a photograph rather than a film. And it should influence, I really think films like that should influence the way photographers take pictures for all of the things in, involved in it, all the sadness and all the, the rejection that Maggie Chung is giving Tony, whatever his name is. I think I see a lot of things around me. And I always say to my friends, I make my living with my eyes. So I miss nothing, you know, <laughs> so that's where the style has come from and it came really early and it and it hasn't always been as strong as it is these days but it's always been there and in fact i always used to think to myself all i want to do is take nice pictures and i didn't really know what that meant and when i used to go to agents and stuff they used to say well what, you know what do you want to do where do you want to be and i just used to say well i don't really know but i just want to take nice pictures and now i know what that is but for 20 odd years i didn't and it frustrated everybody <laughs> what you're saying is absolutely cool and absolutely intriguing there's a lot a lot of things i want to un unpack in there i do want to tell everybody that of course there is a web page and it's paulrayside.com p-a-u-l-r-a-e-s-i-d-e and there's a number of images in there uh, that i really want to talk about before but before we get to any of the individuals when did and, and why did the interiors focus start to take over the work you were doing? Oh yes, I'm. Sorry, I forgot you asked me that. And this this is going to be a theme, you know. So <laughs> my career in my twenties wasn't as pure as I've made it sound. It was it wasn't that easy, and there were a few. Mm -hmm interruptions in my 20s which you know stopped the flow of things so i sort of realized by the end of my 20s and which was the end of the 80s and there's a sort of significance there that i was just never going to be 50 and still be taking photographs it just wasn't good enough and i was you know there were big people like myself and all that crowd around and i was never going to be one of them and I also, I, actually, I wasn't a fashion person. I mean, I'm not now, and I never, I wasn't then. Although I always thought, I, I mean, I threw a lot of money and time on fashion. I was never really that cool, and so I was never going to be a, a, a fashion photographer. So I took some time off, and when I came back from that time off, then people I knew were sort of fashion people, and they had um, made money and bought houses. So I started to photograph them and. Here I am. Oh, and, and doing remarkable, remarkable work, too. One of the things that I've always believed, without 
any any you know practical experience of my own is that people shooting interiors are surrounded by art directors, designers, a million people with a million different ideas as to what the shoot may be. And it's really, you know, a bit of a challenge for the the photographer to get their own vision in there. Is is that true? Is your world complicated by all sorts of aesthetic visions or do they let you have pretty much free reign? Well, I have to tell you, I've always been really blessed this way. And, you know, when I used to take fashion, I used to shoot on a plate camera. And I only used to give the client one photograph. And I was always sort of known as this one Polaroid. I took one Polaroid, one sheet of film, and that was the end of it. And that was your, no choice, that was the picture. And it's the same now with interiors. I don't take lots of pictures I take um, what I believe is the picture, and that's pretty much it. And I, I sort of see it. You know, the, the when I go to a, a shoot, the the first thing I do is I stand around drinking coffee, and I don't have a lot of equipment, and I just pull that in the house. And I don't. And nowadays, I don't use an assistant very rarely. And so I take my gear in, and I stand around drinking coffee, and I get to understand the space and how people use it and and what they're like. And now they're not nervous that I'm there. And the pictures sort of take themselves, really. You you walk around and you put the camera down and it's just sort of in the right place. And I don't actually mess about with it. If I see that that's the right place, that's the picture. And so it means I'm actually really quick. And it's because I've taken that time to get to know the space and feel, to sort of feel it, feel a bit engaged with the person and and their life. Although these pictures are quite aloof, they're actually supposed to be uh, a representation, my idea of the person's home. Oftentimes I photograph things that are quite sort of cool, you know, cool with a C rather than cool with a K. And Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why all my pictures look the same, because it's me. <laughs> what a shame it is to have an individual style. The, you know, you're using words like sadness and stillness and, and cool. Is that a feature of the work you're doing, or is that what you're bringing to the work? Well, it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm a Northern European, and so, and interestingly, you know, when I go, if I work in LA or something, I go to a meeting and there's a board full of these dark Northern European shots, and they say, you know, we've we've asked you to come over because we love your work, and then I go out into the midday sun in LA, and (laughs) how's that going to (laughs) work? Yeah, the the. The, tr- the kit I always take on shoots when I rent my stuff abroad is I always have two 12 by 12 duvetines to knock on the light out so that I can have some direction and I'm draping black cloth everywhere to, to make it moodier. Um, I do that actually in the pictures you see on my site. There's often a black cloth clipped clips just away from the camera or something. So there is that sort of northern cool light that I have. But also, I mean, I don't think that I have sadness, but I'm connected to that part of of my personality. And I think for anybody that, I mean, a lot of creative people suffer, if that's the right word, from this, it's actually an amazing gift. And it's a curse and it's a gift. And 
and I, I'm no artist, by the way, but I do think that it's tapping into that sort of stillness and sadness or the dark side of yourself that actually you, it's the most interesting place you can go. It's horrible, but it's also really interesting. And it's out of that when you, not that I have dark periods, but when I stand somewhere, I look at it and I'm, I feel quite emotional about the pictures. And I'm looking at one actually now of, of one I did in Mexico of a sort of sun-filled terrace with chairs all over it and shadows. And I remember, I really remember taking that photograph and I just stood there and I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to touch anything. I'm just going to leave it just as it is. And because it, it's, it feels like it was in an old building, one of those colonial buildings that's been taken over by artists. There was this sort of sadness about it that it had decayed and was left and bits were broken and the chairs were all messed up. And and I sort of liked that. And then, and then all of a sudden that becomes beautiful. And I think that's a really important thing for photographers and painters and writers and musicians and poets to to recognize and and actually embrace because it's um, that's one of the things that makes us what we are i'm look, i'm looking at that same photograph right now and it is beautiful and that chair the the, the chair that's foregrounded there the, the the cynic in me would have said oh that's a prop somebody said we're going to put that in there to get a certain kind of feel there but those two sort of pink, reddish things on the wall, the way the light's coming in, the way the line of the uh, shadow from the railing there is interrupted, there's there's a lot of, of stuff going on in here that, you know, makes it really an, an inviting space. I mean, it's an inviting photograph, and it's the kind of space that I would say, you know, th- I want to go hang out here as well. But you're, you're telling me you didn't, art design this this image no i i absolutely did not and that's what i was saying really about things finding themselves and i think that's why there's a sort of i hope that there's a sort of honesty about my photographs i mean i do there are a few things sometimes i'll move it out of the way or pull it just into shot but not really because once you start to fiddle it all disappears now actually that on my website where the pictures are paired there's a picture of a chap with a hat on which is part of that set this is a a really good example actually of just having to take what you get i was wandering around in mexico photographing these sort of hidden art galleries and i saw this guy and i said oh i'd really like to take your picture and he said no way um in fact it's it's quite a funny story because he he said, no way, you're never, people like you are never going to take my picture. So I thought, well, I, I, I must take his picture. So now, now Paul, is, is this the guy in the long coat with the cane, just for people that, that are? Oh, no, 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 sorry. This is the guy um, sitting at a table. Oh, okay, a, okay. Sort of a cowboyish hat on. Yes, exactly. Okay. So I said, here's my card. If you change your mind, let me know. So he took it. And, and just to say, the card cost me $3, okay, to have printed. <laughs> so I gave it to him slightly reluctantly, and um, he took it. Anyway, three days I went pestering him, and he said, he sort of threw his hands up in the air and said, okay, you can come in and you can take one frame. 
And so that's it. So I went in and I looked down at this ashtray and he used my three, he said that um, he, he published this uh, communist magazine all against people like me, capitalists, you know, spending all his money on business cards. And um, he'd taken my business card and he, he'd used it as a roach for a, a joint. <laughs> anyway, so that picture, I, I said, well, if I've got one frame, I just sit there and I took the frame and that was it. And, and I, I love that photograph because, well, because it was troublesome to get, but also because it's really, really honest. It's exactly him not looking at me, not interested, you, you know, no, five seconds to take the picture, no lighting, just a little Leica and a wide lens and that's it. My point is, is that um, you don't have to construct photographs for them to be real, real winners. Well, the, the sense of composition in this photograph is extraordinary. Is, is there a lot of post-production here? Because I'm looking at the way the light's coming in there. I'm looking at the soft light, the yellows, the, the way that this whole thing, um, you know, just sort of glows off the page. Is, is this pretty much the way you shot it? Or is this, you know, a couple hours tinkering with it? No, I tell you this. And... I do, I do obviously post, do post, but I'm not particularly good at it. And with my photographs, I straighten them up if they're a bit crooked. And now, in fact, I don't even spot my photographs because I, I never change my lenses. I have two cameras and two lenses. And so I've never taken the, the lens off. So there's no spotting, dusting to do. So no, I adjust the contrast. And, and that's about it. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. I mean, the, the, the old, you know, the, the cliche advice for interiors and stuff is, you know, throw on a wide angle to make a, a small room look bigger. What, what are the, the two lenses that you use? Well, I use, uh, I shoot on Leica SL2s. And okay. the, the Mexico trip was all done with a Leica M240, which is a, a digital camera, actually the least popular of all of the digital ones, but I sort of liked it. And, and I, I hadn't used Leicas before, by the way, so its bigness didn't bother me. I was never interested in it, the thin version that they, they have. Anyway, um, on that, I had a, I had two of those and I had a 24 and a 35. Um, okay. And on the SL2s, which I use now, um, I have a 16 to 35 zoom lens and on the other one, a 24 to 90. And so I have two tripods that are the same, two heads that are the same, and everything's exactly the same. And I go to the shoot and I set them both up. And I very, very rarely use the longer lens. I don't actually like long lenses. So 16 to 35 is my world. And as it happens, the Leica lenses really, really are very, very, very pure. There's no nonsense about barreling and stuff. 
So I, I really like them. And also, just on the, the lens thing, the thing about Leica, it might be considered that the pictures I take are a result of using Leica, and it certainly it helps. But, you know, it's not about the Leica camera as a recording tool for me. It's about the Leica camera as a beautiful thing. And I just really like them. They're beautiful to hold. They're handmade. It's a little bit like if you wore handmade shoes, which I don't. But if you did, it doesn't alter the way you walk. It just alters the way you feel. And that's what it is for Leicas for me. And I'll always, I've always aspired to the best things and, and always spent my money on the things that make me happiest. And in fact, funnily enough, I was thinking earlier about um, spending money. And I remember, you know, when, when I was younger, I, 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 never, I never seemed to have enough money for anything. But whenever I've been anywhere, if I have £50 in my pocket, and this really has happened several times, and like I was in, in Paris once and I had like £50 left, and I thought, well, I, either I can, I can have a hotel room and have supper, or I can go to Harry's Bar and have a glass of champagne. <laughs> and so I always went to Harry's Bar. And, and, and it's sort of been the same with the cameras and stuff. I've always, I've always bought the thing that made me feel the best, not necessarily, because all the cameras take great pictures. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. all But mm-hmm. I think the Leica has a look about it that is good for me, and it makes my pictures have a look, because I feel I've got something beautiful in my hand. Oh, very cool. Going back to some of the particular images, it, you are known as a interior, you know, a, a design photographer, but on your website, a great many of the photographs are not. They are they are portraits. In some of the interior shots, people are obviously props for, you know, getting the, the room to look nice, but in many of the images, the person is the subject itself. Tell me about portraiture. Tell me about how your your sense of design and composition, all that stuff, plays over on that side of your work. Well, uh, something that's been suggested for all of my career is, well, well, you don't really do people to you. And it, and I do. I really do. And I, I like people and I like to talk all day long and, you know, get to know them. And I'm very curious about the pictures you see on my website, apart from perhaps the guy with the hat. Well, actually, him included. It, they're all part of a some kind of story about the house. And, for example, there's a, a picture of Ben Evans who has got his hands over his face. Mm-hmm. And when I did that story, I shot that for, for AD. And, you know, we were going through the house, and it was all very beautiful. His wife's a very well-known architect. And I said, well, now is the time to take your picture. And he said, well, I don't want my picture taken. And I said, well, I have to, I'm not leaving until I've got the picture. So he put his, he was being funny in inverted commas, putting his hands over his face. And that was the picture. And that's the one I submitted to the magazine. It's the right, that's Ben Evans. You know, he didn't want his picture <laughs> taken. And, and I, I sort of like that. And then there's, um, there's Bianca Ingalls, um, who's leaning up against the concrete wall. We had um, we'd done a very, very lovely shoot in Mexico. His only um, residential property, which is the pointed building with the swimming pool, which was the cover of AD. And he mm-hmm. was very, very happy. He'd, he'd come down to the 
to visit the shoot, say hi and stuff. And he was so overwhelmed. And that picture of him is just him being really chuffed. And that's nice because that's, he should be, you know, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful project and, and a great, a great story. And then the other ones, you know, there's the usual sort of ones of people standing around having cups of coffee. But one of the other things I quite like is I quite like to just get people to just stand there, you know. So they come into the room and I say, well, look, just just stand there and, you know, we'll find the shot. And it, it takes, honestly, three minutes and it's done. There's no messing about maybe five pictures, bingo, done. And I like that. And I like that sort of honesty. You know, August Sander does that. He just stands people up in front of a canvas, takes a picture and moves them on. And I sort of just rather like that ordinariness about the picture. Also, I quite like slightly awkward things. I, I quite, my composition, oftentimes I like there to be a little bit of, slightly uncomfortableness in the composition. There's a, mm-hmm. a lady called Nina Nyborg on the site of a woman sitting on a sofa, and she's deliberately meant to look awkward, you know, and I, I really – and she's placed just slightly not quite where you might put her. She's a bit too close to the edge. And I really like that because it's sort of in, in my head, if I really analyse it, it sort of suggests that there's – the frame has slipped a little bit. You know, it's not quite right. And I, I like that because it is right. I, You know, I was going to ask you about th- that little bit of slipping because I do see that even in uh, – you have a shot of a room with a large panoramic window on, on both sides of the room. And the table's not centered. The bookcase in the back isn't centered. I mean, everything's just a little off, and that's brilliant. I was looking at it thinking, you know, if you'd been six inches to your left or right on that shot, it, it would not have worked. And that that little bit of off, offness is, is beautiful. Tell me a story of a shot that was just so well – a shoot, you know, an entire session that was so magical you couldn't believe it. And then tell me a story of one that just went to hell. Well, I have to say you know, <laughs> that nearly all my shoots are an absolute joy. And I, you know, I was saying to you earlier about this idea of um, being not being a technical person. And, you know, I'm, I'm slightly, I don't, I'm not going to say well-known, but I'm, it's not uncommon for clients to say, oh, my God, you didn't read the brief, did you? And I never read the brief, <laughs> and I never Google people. And, and I, in fact, I, I spent some time with um, a lady in Italy last summer, and she was she's quite famous. And I didn't, I have to say, I'd never heard of her. And so we, I picked her up in Rome, and we um, drove down to the south. And the conversation went on and on and on. And she said. Um, do, do you know who I am then, don't you? And I said, well, I, I, you know, I, had, I don't, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> and so the, anyway, the point of this is, so when I go to a shoot, I, I, I sort of, I sort of respond emotionally to things. So I, mm-hmm. I go there and I, I stand and look around and there's a series of pictures of a, like a bathroom with brown walls and a, a kitchen with some oranges on it and a bathroom with some that that shoot was one I adored. I loved it. It was very. It's, it's quite recent, and it was me- the house was very messy. And so I've cleared. All I've done is I've cleared everything off, 
I mean, you would never believe what is just outside of the camera. But I've let, I haven't cleaned it or anything. I've just and I put a bar of soap down on the thing, and I've put a paper on the table. That shoot was really perfect. That was the, the I, one of the most perfect shoots I have done. Every picture of which there are like forty is a winner as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I absolutely adored it. It went. I was there a long time actually. I think I was there for four days. Oh and my. Then, there was no stylist, and the client left me alone, and I just wandered around the house in silence, taking these pictures and moving. There was one shot, that we, which isn't on here, which I had to drag this bed. Oh, my God. It was so heavy, but it was just in the way, and I could the, where I wanted the camera, I just couldn't get it. I had the camera on the bed, and it was wobbling around, so I had to move this, the heaviest bed in the world. And I got the shot, and I and they they just left me alone. They didn't like me or dislike me or anything. It was just a nice, happy shoot. But the one that went possibly badly was one very very early on in my career as a interior photographer, and I'd gone to this guy's house, and he he had all this very very high. Um, highly patterned fabric and he, that was his business he, he made curtains and furnishing fabrics so his whole house was like you never see anything like it and so upstairs there were these curtains and then downstairs was the sofa that matched it and I, I hadn't really developed this idea of what an interior should be like so I did have someone with me at the time so he said well I'm going out now so you know I'll see you when I come back at like five o'clock. Anyway, we moved the whole house around. We took the sofas upstairs. We brought chairs downstairs. And of course, in those days, you didn't even think of photographing stuff where you, you've got it from. You thought you'd remember. Anyway, he came back and I couldn't remember anything. And I, I had <laughs> chairs piled up in the kitchen waiting for him to come back to tell me where to go. He went mad at me. He, I, he said I wrecked his house. And then the pictures were rubbish as well. It was just a horrible – I shouldn't have been asked to do the shoot. I shouldn't have done it. shouldn't have moved anything. So now I don't move anything, not really because of that, but now I, I tend to pretty much leave stuff as it is and just tidy up a bit. I don't really like to involve too many people if I can help it because, I mean, I, I obviously have a quite a – definite idea of myself and, and what I want. And mm-hmm. and I think sometimes if I'm working with a stylist, it doesn't really work because not all the time. I mean, sometimes it's really joyful, but sometimes it doesn't and I'm better off. I get the purest idea of myself when I'm left on my own, given that I've spent half my life at discos and um, in Harry's bar. <laughs> it seems a weird place to have ended up. <laughs> you know, speaking of stylists and, and, and designers and art directors and stuff, you, you've got a picture that I find myself staring at simply because of its uh, incongruity. And that's the one with, there's a painting of the Madonna and Child, there's a table, and then there's a motor of some sort and a silver plate pitcher of some sort. Tell me about that picture, because it's beautiful. I mean, just just as, as, a, as a still life, forget interiors and architecture and design and magazines, and as a still life picture, this is a piece of art. This is gorgeous. Well, it's it's so funny because the guy I I was sent off to Wales to by AD actually to photograph this 
absolutely wonderful chap called Hal Messel. He's sort of somehow connected to royalty, and he's very well. He's he's not my type of person, you know. We were different types. Anyway, he went to this lovely chapel, and we had an absolute, absolutely wonderful day together. And he's a silversmith, and he ah. um, his chapel's full of all, you know stained glass windows and coloured lights, you know, coloured light from the stained glass all over the place. And then in this room, this tiny little room, was a this little bench. And I saw it, I saw the Madonna looking down at the bench. I thought, oh my God, this is, it couldn't be better. It couldn't describe this guy and his environment more. So I, this is this is his sort of portrait, really. So I put the, the, the mechanics of the machine, the, the thing that he produces, and the fact that he lives in an ecclesiastical building and being looked over, that's the portrait I took of him. So that that actually is not a still life. It's a portrait of him. I love it. I That is fantastic. You know, one of the things I also admire, just to continue the composition note for a second, you left a lot of edges in this, in, in the cropping. You've got the edge of the table. You've got the edge of what's, you know, the, the what's either an arch or a, a you know, yeah. little wall thing at the top uh you left the ceiling edge in there and i know a lot of people would move the cropping in just that little bit to get rid of those edges is that intuitive for you now is that a decision you made you know that that kind of where where the border of the images yes well i never crop anything really yeah i, I never ever crop I, what you get is that i never leave any bleed much to the annoyance of everyone the picture I see is the picture you get. And I guess, I mean, I could have moved the camera in, but, you know, it sort of defines the space. If if those mm-hmm. things weren't there, you wouldn't know if the table was 50 feet long or five feet long. And it's important to to understand that this is a, a very contained little space. I, I hadn't, I don't, I'm not sure that I thought that at the time, but actually now I'm sort of analysing it. I guess that's... That's what it is. Oh, I mean, it, it, this is the kind of, of image that you can spend a lot of time talking about how the lines and, and the light work. That corner where the table meets the, the two walls, where that is in the frame is, is just genius. The shadow at the bottom and the, the, the light in the middle. Is, is light a particularly challenging part of your world with so many windows and so much exterior light coming in, which, you know, for most of us would just blow out, you know, either you'd never see what was outside. It'd be all completely blown out with the highlights or it messes up the inside in such a way that it's unusable. How do you handle all that exterior light? Well, there is a little bit of post on that, but really not as much as you might think, but there is a little bit on there. When one of the things I really don't like this HDR messing about, you can do on Photoshop you know, you can recover the highlights and recover the shadows. I think pictures should have black in them, and I think pictures should have white in them. And I think there should be things you shouldn't be able to see. So I don't mind. I'm completely at ease with windows blowing out. So I have this black sheet with me, which is quite large, and it's made of, like, sheeting, really. So it's it's not not heavy or anything. And I, I have no problem just clipping it up 
on some, you know, on a curtain rail or something. And it is what is a vital piece of equipment as far as I'm concerned, because it it gives everything direction and helps keep things direction and cuts out front light and a bit of reflection. But you should have reflection too. So um, there are windows where you can see that there's a window behind me. And I actually quite like that because it's sort of honest and and it, it's real. And, and I think if if you think that my pictures are honest, then it's because they are. And the windows blow out and you get black shadows and hideous dark corners. And that's just the way that that's the room. So, you know, I might think about what time of the day I take the, the, the photograph. And now I don't, uh, I don't do any much post on that and I don't worry about it. I just take the picture. There's a sort of uncomplicated approach to things. And I, all of these pictures really are what they are. There's no messing about. Not, sometimes I throw a little bit of light in, but not really. Not if I, and, I, and if I do, I hold it in my hand and I push it against some cornice or something so, or, or a bookcase so that the light coming into the room is all mixed up with different reflectances from the thing it's, the light's hit. So it's an, it's an honest light again. I don't want to over-egg this honesty thing. But nearly all of these pictures are what they are. You know, it's a black sheet and, and the light that's in the room. They are beautiful pictures. I mean, plain and simply, they are beautiful pictures. And they are inspiring, at least for me, try and get this bit of, of the skill set beefed up because you're making it sound really you know elegant and simple and it may be an execution but in terms of the talent behind it there's clearly a lifetime of experience here tell me tell me about covid did, did that affect your world at all yes it did pre covid i was traveling all over the place and you know i i, I sort of enjoy it and i do enjoy it i i do enjoy it and but i was uh, i was sort of traveling a little bit too much, actually. You know, I, I want to be at home. And so when I'd been in um, Chicago in December and then I came back for a, a week or so and I went off to L.A. And then the, the lock, our lockdown in the U.K. happened, and I can't remember if it happened at the same time everywhere else, but it was it was so total and it was great weather here. I loved it. I absolutely adored that time. And it made me, without ever sitting down to think about it, it made me put some space between traveling and my work and everything. And I've come out of it with a much happier a happier attitude, actually. And I think that I do want to work as much as I did, but I, I'm a little bit more interested in doing really the things I want to do the way I want to do them. And I like that. I have a, a newfound confidence uh, as a result. And business, you know, business is business. And, it, you know, I don't I take pictures for a living. You know, it's not all about making money. It's about taking pictures and having a nice time and stuff. If it had been about money, then I don't know where my career would have been. I don't know what I would have seen or done. There's no end. I mean, there's no sort of place to go. I don't want to get to the definitive picture. I'm just happy doing what I'm doing and happy working with people that respect 
what I do for what it is. And it's not anything that it isn't, you know, it's just what it is. I can't do things for social media for them. And, you know, I think if they want that, the client wants that, they should get a kid in and, you know, with a phone because they're at <laughs> it. I, I couldn't do it. You know, I'd be setting up tripods and all this kind of stuff. And actually they want someone to walk around with a telephone. So I just do what I do and that's where I want to concentrate going forward. Very cool. Well, Paul, this has been remarkable. This this has been a great conversation. Thank you very much. You are very, very welcome. Thank you. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com. <laughs>